Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, welcome to Nature Biotechnology's First Rounders podcast. I'm the host, Brady Huggett. This is our podcast. Welcome aboard. The guest today is Jan Vilcek. Now, Jan is the uh, current co-founder, chairman, and CEO of the Vilcek Foundation, a nonprofit organization that raises the awareness of immigrant contributions to this country in the arts and sciences. Um, it also hands out awards. But most importantly for this podcast, Jan is a longtime researcher and professor at New York University School of Medicine. And his early work led to the discovery of one of the most successful biotech drugs of all time, Remicade. Now, that is something that we discussed in this podcast. And what else did we talk about? Well, we talked about his fascinating and sometimes harrowing childhood. He, his family is Jewish. He's Jewish. He was raised, he grew up in Bratislava, mostly, which is um, in the Slovak Republic today, but it was Czechoslovakia at the time, during the rise of Nazi Germany across Europe. Having survived that, he then lived under communist rule until he was able to defect eventually to the United States and come to NYU. So we talked about that too. But let's pick the conversation up here where Jan and I are talking about his memoir, Love and Science, and how he came to write it. So yeah, that's it. You're ready. I'm ready. Here it is, your First Rounders podcast with Jan Vilcek. Listen up. People were telling me, you know, you had such an interesting life. You yeah. should, you should write a memoir. And I always said, no, no, no. I have no as long as I was uh, working hard in my in my laboratory. You know, it was difficult to find the time. The time. And then, yeah. as I slowed down some um, uh, after my 80th birthday, I sat down. And That's the time. The, and, and the, well, actually, I was going to try it out first. I said, "Let me, you know, write something and yeah. see how it how it feels." And from the beginning, um, I, I got carried away. And uh, you enjoyed it. And, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, it gave, so it gave me a good basis to form some some questions. Um, and so uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your childhood first, and we'll get to Remicade, obviously, later. But, but um, you know, your father was born in Moravia, yeah? No, no, I'm sorry. He lived in Moravia. He, the, our ancestors supposedly came from 
Moravia, but he was born in what is now Slovakia. Oh, he was. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and met your mother there as well. So he, um, as a child, when he was about 10 years old, his family moved to Budapest. So he, he went to school in Budapest and was drafted during the First World War uh-huh. to, the, to the army. And then after the end of the, of, of the war, uh, at some point, I don't even know exactly in what year, he moved from Hungary to what, what by then was Czechoslovakia. Yeah, and so he spoke Hungarian. He spoke Slovak, he spoke Hungarian, he spoke German. He right. He was completely fluent in three languages. And this, um, and this helped him find work, yeah? Yes, so uh, he, um, my grandfather, his, his father, uh, had uh, a, uh, a business supplying uh, coal and, and, and wood, yeah. uh, firewood, uh, and uh, maybe that was the reason why he then joined uh, a company that uh, was uh, in the coal business. And first in Hungary, and then when he moved to Czechoslovakia, he joined another company that was also in the coal business. Yeah, I, I think I thought I read something in the book that, that because he could speak these languages, it made him, you know, he could manage people, he could handle contracts, whatever. I mean, because it was easy for him to move from language to language. Correct, correct. Although I must say, it was not that unusual in that part of the world in, in those days. In those days, yeah. People, many people spoke many languages. languages. Yeah, yes. yeah. So then, okay, and he met your mother, um, who was an ophthalmologist, Correct. Right? Well, when he met her, she was still a medical student. And they met, fell in love. Uh, well, um, actually, in my book, I say that I don't know the exact circumstances of how they met, and for some reason, they haven't talked about it. And he was... Um, about 11 years older than, than she. Yeah. And I speculate, although I have no uh, real basis for it, that perhaps it was an arranged marriage, but that's, that's, that's just, just a guess. Yeah. yeah. So either, either way, they got together. Um, I think you said something about, you know, there were some minor differences in class almost. Your, your mother's family was... Um, Better educated, but, but she uh, believed uh, that her her family was better educated, and uh, uh, she she uh, you know would um, consider her uh, marriage to to my father kind of a mesalliance. <laughs> <laughs> but she got over it. She got over it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. So they they got married. Um, this was probably uh, you tell me what year this was. Uh, they got married in uh, around 1930. I, 1930. Yes, I was born in 1933, maybe 1929, uh, when they when they got married. Yeah. So then, and 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 then you're born. You're an only child. Correct. Yes. And from that point on, basically, I mean, you grew up right in the teeth of you know the Nazi invasion of Europe. Yeah. Yes, the the year I was born was the year when Hitler came to power in in Germany. Germany. And and uh, so t- uh, there's a couple of things I remembered I want to ask you about. Number one is your your family made you know before the fascist Slovak state 
became a thing. Your, your family was already worried about what was happening in Germany for obvious reasons. And they thought, well, maybe, maybe we should flee, and we should flee to Holland. And they Got took it. a trip, yeah? Yes, yeah, so in um, 1939, um, my mother and I traveled to Holland. I, I was uh, not even, I think I celebrated my, my fifth. Uh, actually, if it was 19, no, it was 1938, I celebrated my fifth birthday in, in Holland. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I didn't know what the purpose of the of the trip was, but uh, later my mother told me that it was to explore the possibility of us moving to Holland. Uh, uh, the reason was that uh, it was expected Hitler would uh, move into Czechoslovakia, uh, but no one apparently expected that he would uh, attack uh, Holland and Belgium and France. Yeah. Uh, in in those days, so um, uh, my 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 family thought that uh, moving to Holland would be would be would be safe. Um, it it didn't happen uh, because before they could make the decision, the war broke out, and uh, we didn't we didn't move any anywhere. But uh, but when you say that you went to your family went to explore it, what what does that mean? You you looked for a place to live or, or So my my parents had friends in Amsterdam. Oh, oh, oh. Uh so we went to visit the friends and uh, uh, those friends had a daughter who was uh, of a similar age um, and I was playing with her and actually my mother told me that she was even thinking of Leaving me with the friends in Amsterdam before they would, they would move out and and join them. But uh, then um, that didn't happen. Apparently, I didn't get along very well with that girl. You so, didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that, that's what my mother said, and uh, she she took me she took me back, and so they moved to Holland. Never. Happened. But to but to push on that, if, if if your mother was contemplating actually leaving you behind with friends, I mean they must have been already pretty frightened. They 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 were uh, because um, uh, this was uh, probably a few months before uh, Hitler annexed Austria, and yeah. Austria is just across the Danube from. The, the city where I yeah. grew up, yeah. Bratislava, is, is 40 miles from Vienna. It was practically a suburb of Vienna. There was a streetcar that uh, connected Vienna and Bratislava. So it was very, very close. And the threat was, uh, was certainly very immediate. Okay, so then you know, their, their plan is, well, maybe we can go to Holland and, and uh, you know, Save ourselves, save our child. When that doesn't work out, what what was the next line of thinking? Uh, I'm not sure that there was ever a real concrete plan. Uh, much much later, my uh, parents thought about this. Was after the end of the Second World War. My my parents, when communism broke out thought about moving to Israel, but that was much later, and much later. it also did not happen. happen so no. they were obviously not very decisive people. They had a good <laughs> life. They had a good life uh, in, in Czechoslovakia, and it was hard to 
make a decision to leave. Yeah, I mean, as you, so your mother was a physician. You know, your father had a solid job. I, I can understand why they would, but they're both Jewish, obviously. So they, they knew the they knew what was going on. Um, you know, you mentioned that the fascist Slovak state broke out. At, at which point, I mean, you correct me where I'm wrong here, but something like fifty eight thousand Jews from your area, I think, from were were shipped to Germany to camps. Yeah, so they must correct, have been correct. Yes, yes. Um, and of course, if they had known that this is going to 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 happen, they probably would have uh, made a decision. But yeah. people were always hoping that this is something very temporary, and Hitler will come to his senses, and things will get better. Even German Jews uh, believe that apparently uh, for for a long time, and uh, just know, sort people of always want to be optimistic yeah, about, the, of course. about the future. Yeah, but um, but your family did do some other self-preservation things. They converted to Catholicism. Um, you could you, you could apply, you have to tell me what, what the uh, Jewish codex was, and you could apply to be exempt from it or something. Correct. So um, the, 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 these were circumstances specific for Slovakia. Yeah. So Czechoslovakia uh, was crushed in uh, in, in stages, the f uh, final uh, the f the f dissolution of Czechoslovakia occurred in March of uh, 1939. Uh -huh. And that, uh, the German army occupied what is now the territory of the Czech Republic. Slovakia, which is further east, yep. uh, became a pro-Nazi uh Sem not not completely independent because it was heavily uh, under the influence of of Nazi Germany, but it was uh, still uh, at least uh, formally an independent country with a separate government and 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 the president and the government uh, cooperated with the with the Nazis, but the situation was a little different from uh, what is now the Czech Republic. Because there, there was a an outright occupation by the by the German army. So Slovakia was not occupied by the German army. They had their own pro-Nazi uh, government, yeah, yeah, and, and and government. And gradually, they introduced uh, legislation that was very similar to the Nuremberg laws. Uh, actually, apparently, it was even even more uh, drastic it was than harsher. some aspects of the of the of the Nuremberg laws and uh, but one one difference between Slovakia and, and 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 countries that were under the very direct control of Germany is that for people who converted there existed a path to being exempted partially or completely from the Jewish law, and my mother decided early on to have uh, herself and me uh, baptized. And, and she, we, I, mean, I, I grew up without any religion because my uh, my parents were Jewish, but culturally they, they, not religiously. They, yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. they were not religious. So, yeah. So uh, I, I I grew up without any religion, and then. 
1939, my mother had me baptized, and I became a Catholic. A Catholic, and, and, but and herself as well, not your yeah, father? Herself. My father hesitated, and he converted uh, about two years later. Oh, he did, he yeah. Obviously, was much more reluctant to, yeah. to do it. But for, for someone like your mother, who had no real religious leanings, it, it didn't seem like that large of a deal, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, if you don't really believe in religion, it doesn't matter if you're going to sign up for this one. It's t done to preserve your family. Is that correct? Uh, well, I mean, what, what her real feelings were, I, I you don't, know. don't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, clearly she did it in order to save uh, herself and, yeah, and you. save me. Yeah, yes. and it did. Yes. It well, did. It, it certainly helped. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, other people were shipped away. You guys were not. Your mother's services were, uh, it sounded like, in demand. She was a physician, and, and that was needed. So you guys were somehow able to work around this, this Jewish codex. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask about one more thing because this stuck with me in the in the book. Uh, it, it just seemed, um, I don't know, incredibly painful. But there's this concept of house guests that you're talking about where it was more common at the time, but it, you know, the, the man may have infidelities, the, the woman might have infidelities, and it was sort of common. And Well, go it, ahead, yeah, you, you tell me. It was called house friend. House, house friend, friend. yeah. Yes. Not house, house guest. House, house guest friend. is something different, <laughs> well, sorry, no, yeah, no, house I friend. Mean, similar, similar. Yes, uh, in, in that part of the world at, at that time, uh, divorces were very, very rare. Rare, yeah. Uh, so um, instead of uh, divorcing, uh, you know, people made arrangements, and uh, as far as I know, uh, there was an arrangement uh, that my parents made. I, I don't know whether it was explicit or implicit, whether yeah. they ever discussed it, but the fact is that uh, I, I found out that my mo mother had a, a, at least one boyfriend, possibly more, and uh, my my father had had, had girlfriends. Yeah, and they continued uh, living together, and and I don't think they ever seriously considered a divorce. Yeah, the the thing that stuck with me is is um, one of your mother's boyfriends, whom I think she quite liked, and you liked. He he was he was you know almost not a stepfather, but he was good to you. Correct. Was shipped to a, a camp and and Correct. killed. Yes. And so, I mean, that's obviously very painful. And forever your mother kept a photo of him around the house, right. which just seemed like painful for everybody. I mean, your your father has to look at the photo, number one, and your mother has to look at this and think, you know, that not only did that person that she loved die, but died probably horribly. Yeah? Yes. You remember that? Ah, oh, I couldn't get over that. Did that stick with you? Absolutely, yes. Uh, and uh, I should add that uh, uh, this house friend of... Uh, my my mother uh, was uh, actually a colleague of my father, and they were friendly as well. So oh, it, it's all it tied up. A, yeah. It was a strange situation. Yeah, my God. Okay, all right. Let's. So, you guys survive. Uh, your your family survives the right leaning Slovak state. You survive Hitler's maniacal forays through Europe. Um, when that finally ends, you know, the, sort of like the the, the country would be like, okay. Uh, we're, we're going to heal now, but then communism came in instead. Correct, yeah. yes. So when uh, the Second War ended in uh, 1945, um, for a while it, it, it seemed like uh, the, um, Czechoslovakia was 
reunited uh, uh, and it seemed like it's going to continue as, uh-huh. a, as a free country. Yeah. Uh, but during the very first elections, uh, I believe in 1946, uh, the Communist Party uh, did not gain an absolute majority, but became the strongest party in, in Czechoslovakia. So uh, they were given uh, key uh, posts in the government. The uh, the prime minister was uh, communist, and I think the uh, posts like uh, the Ministry of Interior that uh-huh. con- controlled uh, the police was was run by communists. And then gradually they were working toward the takeover, which occurred in February of uh, 1948, and then the the free regime ended and and the country became uh, an authoritarian communist country. And so 48, 48 you said? Yes. So you were 15? Is that right? Correct. Right, okay. All right, so now you're 15, you're beginning to think about what your career might be, what your interests are, and communism has come in. Um, What were you thinking about then? What was, was it science back then too? That young? Uh, interestingly enough, uh, when I was in um, in, in high school, uh, well, I'm sorry. I should say also that I mean, you'd missed a year of school. You'd been stuck in an orphanage to hide you away from um, the Nazis for a while, a, a Catholic orphanage. Um, so it, it, it's it, like it's somewhat surprising. Not somewhat. What, what do I want to say? But like, school had been put in the back burner for a while. I don't know. Were, were your interests always around science, or was sometimes school not even important to you? Um, no, so, so I, I was um, not disinterested in science, but um, when I was a teenager, I, I was uh, reading avidly, and my uh, the books that I was reading, some some of them had to do with science, but science was really not uh, high on my list of yeah. of, of interests and priorities and uh, I wanted to become a writer I wanted to become a journalist uh, uh, however I, I did not believe in uh, communism and uh, in, if you wanted to be a, especially a journalist in a communist country you, know, a different you, had, thing. To, you had to really yeah. uh, be to a believe. Communist, right, right. communist so it, it clearly was not uh, the right profession for me. Uh, maybe I would have considered law, but again, law in the communist country was practically non-existent yeah. as a you know free profession, certainly. So more or less by excluding all other options, I ended <laughs> up uh, going into medical school, which my parents wanted me to do they did, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in the in the last moment, I applied to the medical school in Bratislava, and I was accepted. Yeah, and then um, you and then you did a PhD in Bratislava as well. So I finished medical school and already uh, in the second year of medical school. Medical school in Europe is different. You 
uh, you don't have college before medical school. Oh, you go right to medical school. You go yeah. from high school directly oh. into medical school, and medical school is, is takes six years to, mm-hmm. to complete. So when I was in the second year of the six-year medical school, I became interested in a... Uh, I volunteered for a uh, research project in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology, and I fell in love with uh, science at that point. Uh, meaning, meaning the research of science, not necessarily applying it as a physician, but you know the concept of researching. Right, yeah. la- laboratory science yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and the research, I uh, became very interested in some aspects of of immunology and uh, went to lectures and conferences and uh, very very early on I decided I really didn't want to practice medicine what I wanted to do for my uh, for the rest of my career was uh, scientific research in microbiology and immunology and when I finished medical school I skipped all clinical training I didn't do it an internship or residency and uh, was accepted uh, by a research institute in Bratislava that uh, was devoted to virology, to mm-hmm. the study of viruses. Um, and uh, there I, uh, I I wrote a, a thesis and, and defended a PhD dissertation uh, uh, and continued still in Bratislava doing, doing research in a specific field of virology. Yeah, and so at some place along the way here, you meet your wife. Correct. Yes, uh, uh, I, we were introduced uh, by uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, who with whom we we went to high school together and sat in. Twin benches for many years, and the, you and your friend. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But you didn't know her in high school. I didn't know her. No, she she's few years younger. Right. And, right. right. Uh, went to a different high school, and uh, but uh, my 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 friend from high school married a girl uh, who studied um, at uh, studied linguistics. She uh, studied English and. Russian, and uh-huh. she went to school, to high school, and then also uh, to to the university with uh, Marita, my, your my wife. future wife. Yeah, your future so wife. So they, they, they introduced us. Okay, so you met her, and she was, al- uh, already she was studying art? Oh, yes, she was, uh, at the time I met her, she already finished uh, the studies of art, art history and worked uh, at the uh, Slovak National Gallery. Yeah. And what was her background? Uh, professional or personal? Both, I guess. Uh, I mean, um, so so at this point, she's she's not Jewish, no? She is not Jewish. Is she right. is she Catholic? She was brought up a Con- Catholic. Yes, then yes, that way, uh, right? Never particularly well as a child, maybe. Yeah, she was religious, but later in life, did not. did did either family bo- did that bother either family? Um, not not really. Um, so my parents were quite open-minded uh, about it. Uh, I don't know whether they would have preferred it, me to marry a Jewish girl, but I 
It doesn't. And in those days, in those days, it was not really an it, issue. And seemingly, her her mother was my future wife's mother was not alive. She died when when Maritza was seventeen, and uh, her father didn't seem to be bothered by the fact. Yeah, that and also you you'd been baptized for God's sakes, right? That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's right. Although, yeah. again, yeah. in communism, that was. It's just not the, an issue because yeah, exactly. nobody was very openly, or very few people, were openly religious. But. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys meet. You you realize um, I don't know. You realize something in her. What what was it that attracted the two of you? Oh, it's so difficult to to you know, Pin <laughs> define it down. exactly. We we like. You got along. I, I can I can speak for myself. Yeah. I, um, I like the fact that uh, you know she had an education in art history. I was interested in art, but didn't really yeah. uh, know all that much about it. And she she was attractive, and uh, I, I fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. Right, okay. Um, so, I, I mean, w- w- all I know... So what happens next? You get married. How How long after you met her did you get married? We got married about two years after after and this uh, is one another. This is maybe this is in 60, 1962. 62, okay. And so then you're married and you think, okay, well, I mean, we're going to have this life here in, you're, you're in Bratislava. Yeah, we're going to have right. this life in Bratislava. I mean, communism is my favorite thing in the world, but we can survive here. I've got a job. I've got, you know, my research. She has her, and that was fine? Well, uh, it probably would have been more or less fine with me. Uh, but um, Maritza had a an older brother who emigrated uh, and lived in uh, New York City oh, by oh. the time we we married, and perhaps because of that, but also um, for some other reasons, she really hated the idea of staying in Czechoslovakia, partly uh, because of the communist system, but. Uh, she would say things like, I'm too tall for this country. <laughs> is she, <laughs> she really tall? How tall is she's, she? She's, she is tall, but not by today's standards. You know, now I know, everyone's tall, right. much taller. She, she is 5'8". Uh, That's pretty tall. Yeah. 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 So, uh, she's too so tall she for was, Bratislava, right. <laughs> and um, she, she wanted to get, to get out. So she... We had many discussions, and I said, look, that's, as you know, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's very unlikely that we will get a permission to leave the country. We, could, we certainly could not emigrate legally, but even to, to get the permission to leave the country for a short trip abroad to the, to the West was hard. Not, was hard, and it wouldn't be very likely. Uh, but she... Kept insisting, and eventually we uh, came to an agreement. If the opportunity arises, we'll get out. And an opportunity arose. And the opportunity unexpectedly did arise. We had uh, friends, a a colleague of mine who was uh, a professor of microbiology at the medical school in Vienna. Uh invited us to come to a visit to their house. We didn't tell them that once we get out, we are not going to come oh back God. to Czechoslovakia. So 
when we eventually did get out, it was a surprise for them, them as well. But they were, they were So th- as you said, this is you know right across the Danube, right? So this is a short trip. The, your friend thinks you're probably coming for I, I don't know a long weekend or something. It's correct. Yeah. Yes, and yes. you 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 brought ever, what? What you brought like a suitcase? What did you do? We we brought two relatively small suitcases because uh, you uh, had to look like you were just going correct, for the weekend. Uh, Actually, a few days before our trip, I get a phone call from this colleague of mine in Vienna, uh, and um, he said. I have tickets for the opera. Can you bring a tuxedo? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> and, you know, at that time, of course, we we knew already yeah. that you know if we get out, we are not coming back. So the tuxedo was certainly not. You're like, I don't have space for priorities. the tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> and and needless to say, we didn't bring didn't a bring tuxedo. Okay, I, so you you get you get there, and, and so uh, w- one other thing, did you um. I was thinking about this. Did you tell anyone? Did you tell your parents? Uh, we told my parents um, because we, uh, I, I expected that they will approve. And indeed, uh, even though it was difficult for them, they were very supportive. And they said, I mean, yes. they, you know, that that means they're not. They could maybe never see you again, right? Correct. In those days, yeah. I mean, we were hoping, of course, that we would see them and. As it turns out, we did see you them did. Often, okay. often enough, but, uh, but it, back then it you didn't know. It wasn't yeah. uh, uh, absolutely clear that this this will happen. So, so they said, uh, "Yes, go. Uh, we think you will have a better life uh, in in the West." And our, at that point, our plans were still fairly vague. We we, we Just knew we eventually we'd want to to come to. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. To, ...to the United States, but we had no idea how long it would take uh, to get uh, immigration visas. Yeah. So, uh, all, all of that was... But so when, when um, them knowing where you went, did that put them in, at any sort of jeopardy? So if, so if they well, didn't know, we, uh, yeah. we lived with my uh, wife's father. He uh, um, owned a, a, a two-story family house, uh-huh. and uh, by then he uh, he lived long. There was a younger brother; he was at school. So we the, moved to the second floor of the of, of the house, yeah. uh, and that was uh, a much better arrangement. My parents didn't have a house; they lived in it. Uh, an apartment, and in those days, it was extremely difficult to 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 find a, a place of your own. I mean, the yeah. rentals were yeah, yeah. very very difficult, and so so, so we we lived with my wife's father, and uh, we knew that he probably would be the first one to be questioned by the police after our leaving, and we decided that to protect him and not tell we him would, we would not tell okay him so then if the plans. if the government came he would say i don't know and he really wouldn't know exactly and by the time they got to your parents your parents could say something like well we got a letter and we know he's gone or something well they it was easier for them to say we didn't know because we we didn't live with them oh okay but, right yeah. because he yeah, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Okay, all right. So then you're you're in Vienna, and your plan is you're not quite sure, but you want to. Well, you're not going back to Bratislava, but you want to possibly get to the U.S. So how did that happen? So it it it, it was uh, somewhat compl- complicated, needless to say. But um, uh, we originally had plans to moved to Belgium because uh-huh. I had a colleague and friend uh, in Belgium and he was trying to make arrangements for us to join the University of Leuven. Yep. Um, that didn't work out partly because uh, we didn't have passports. We left for Vienna with a border pass but not a real Passport and without a passport, we you couldn't get in. Couldn't, we yeah, couldn't yeah. get to uh, to Belgium. We managed to get to what was then West Germany, more or less crossing the border um, illegally, um, and then in Germany uh, we applied for a refugee passport and refugee status, which we managed to 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 get and. Uh, we applied for immigration visas and uh, actually managed to get the visas uh, very promptly. So we left Bratislava in in early October or mid October, and by early February we had uh, our immigration visas and to the U.S. to the U.S. and I also had. Uh, uh, a promise of a of a job at uh, New NYU. University. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. And, and so at the time, it must have seemed, you know, pain, painstakingly slow. But in retrospect, it went pretty quickly. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. 
Okay, so you move. So you still don't have anything. You have your suitcases, right? And you moved to New York. Yes. How, what, how did you settle in? What, where did you live? How, what happened? Well, as I said, uh, we... Uh, you had a job. Had a, yeah. I had a promise of a job, even though uh, it still took a couple of weeks before uh, I actually was able to start working. And it took about six weeks before I got my first paycheck. paycheck yeah. Uh, but uh, we had um, uh, my brother-in-law. Oh, right. Yeah. Brother. yeah. So we... We could move in with with him for for a few weeks, uh, which was which was very helpful. And once I knew that uh, I'm going to get uh, a salary, we, uh, we were able to rent uh, an apartment again. We borrowed some 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 more money, but yeah. it 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 all eventually worked out well. Okay, so now let's start let's start talking about your work, right? So you're working. Were you working on Interferon then? I started working on Interferon in, in Bratislava and uh, managed to publish some papers in international journals, and I think that was the reason why I, I was able to get uh, the promise of a job, a NYU. junior faculty position yeah. at the yeah. NYU School of Medicine. Uh, and uh, when, when I started my job, um, the first thing I had to do was sit down and write grant applications because the the university assigned some space for my laboratory, but uh-huh. uh, didn't give me any money to purchase equipment or, or hire uh, technicians or collaborators. Yep. Today, things are a little different. Uh, today, when people are, are hired at that level, uh, they get what is called seed money. Uh, which uh, helps uh, with the with the get your lab get, up and but running. In yeah. those days, that was not common. So um, it took another six months, probably closer to a year, before I actually got uh, my grant money and was able to. The grants. I mean, that. did you know? Did you know what you wanted to do? How, how did you I, fill out the grants? I knew what I wanted to do. It's true that uh, the plans were somewhat vague because. This was uh, uh, still at times when interferon was a concept, but um, the uh, molecule was was actually not um, identified yeah. or purified yeah. Yeah. or available. So it was much more descriptive than some years later. But uh, I, I managed to put together a, a research plan and. To my surprise, uh, I sent the ap- grant application to three agencies, including the NIH and the National Science Foundation, and all three agencies wanted to give me money. I think <laughs> they, like... they felt sorry for a refugee from Eastern uh, Europe. Maybe. But, Were you uh, thinking, this is, a, this is a great country, look at this, uh, all three accepted indeed, my grants. Indeed, yes. Okay, so you, you started in, you started building your lab, yeah? Yes, so once I had the grants, I hired a technician, and then very soon uh, two graduate students expressed interest in joining my, my laboratory. So uh, it, it, it started small, and then over the years uh, it was growing and going, going reasonably well. Yeah, so how do, how do we get on to TNF? 
So interferon is, uh, which is the substance that uh, I worked on in Bratislava and yeah. continue to work uh, on uh, here in here in New York, is uh, a natural protein that plays a role in uh, the uh, immune in regulating regulating the immune system, um, and uh, it then turned out that. Um, Interferon is part of a family of similar substances, uh, proteins that are produced in the body and that all are important in uh, host defense and defense against infections. Mm -hmm. And tr uh, I became interested in a related substance that is called T that is called TNF. So it was not a complete departure from. What I was doing, it was uh, it's like an kind association, of logical, yeah, logical progression, extension, yeah, progression, yeah, of my, my so, project. So you're working on that, and somehow this turns into infliximab. Yeah, uh, yes. So I I became interested in in TNF partly because TNF was believed to be important in the defense against uh, cancer uh -huh. and and tumors. Uh, uh, this was at the time when, again, very little was known about the substance. Once the substance was purified and uh, available in sufficient quantities, it was tried as a possible treatment for cancer, but it turned out it is much too toxic and uh, cannot be, be used yeah. in, in, in humans. Um, and then other studies show that uh, TNF actually plays a harmful role in the pathogenesis of some diseases, uh, including a group of autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis, yes. yeah. So that led to the idea of uh, trying to develop an antagonist, something that would block the harmful actions of TNF. And uh, in my laboratory, we made a what is called monoclonal antibody, an artificial antibody. Chimeric, that, right? Uh, well, initially it was yeah. uh, a, a, a mouse antibody against TNF that blocked TNF action, and then in order to be able to use it therapeutically, it had to be modified uh, because uh, uh, antibodies uh, that are made in mouse cells and uh, the, uh, have, a, uh, have only mouse pr protein, or what's called murine protein, yeah. uh, would induce a, a harmful immune response. And uh, already in those days, this was uh, in the uh, 1980s, there was a technology available whereby you could uh, partly humanize. Yeah, not uh, fully yet, right? But just partially? Correct. Right. Yeah. So you could make a, a chimeric antibody, which uh, would be roughly 70% uh, human, and then 30% would still... Uh, consist of the murine. of the, the murine yeah. sequences, and that was enough to it for the body to accept it. That was um, 
believed to be enough, and indeed in most situations it is enough for the for for the human body. Yeah. No? I mean, the body still produces an immune response, even against a fully human antibody. Yeah. But the immune response is not very strong. So then, okay, so then this becomes, um, you're going to have to take me through this. So eventually this is, I don't know how the attention came to it. Was it through research papers or not? But then Senecor somehow licenses it from NYU. Is that right? Yes. So, and, so uh, did you, did you while you're doing your research, did you have any concept of the industry side of things? Were you thinking about, well, this is going to be useful as a drug, or were you just doing the basic research? Uh, it happened gradually. So we were doing basic research, and originally we planned to generate the monoclonal antibody mainly for our own use in research. But early on, uh, I established contact with... Uh, the then fledgling biotechnology company, yeah. Centocore, and they were interested uh, in using monoclonal antibodies for uh, diagnostic applications and later also for therapeutic applications. So during discussions with uh, uh, people's, people at Centocore, the idea came up uh, to establish a collaboration. Initially, the collaboration concerned an antibody to interferon, not to TNF. But uh -huh. then when we became interested in TNF, we uh, said, well, we could also Work on produce this. A, yeah. an antibody to TNF, and that could somehow be useful. We initially did not really have a very precise idea how it could be useful. Later on, we believed that it could be used for the treatment of sepsis uh, because there were indications that TNF plays a role in sepsis. Turns out uh, the no. factory Senocor, uh did a clinical trial in sepsis and the antibody that we, we made together and then made it into a chimeric antibody together with Senocor. Um, did not help yeah. sepsis. I mean, al almost everything failed in sepsis, or uh, has failed in sepsis. Correct, yeah, correct. yeah. And but then, fortunately, um, through uh, serendipity and, and, and good luck, um, uh, two scientists in, in London, uh, one rheumatologist, Ravinder Maney, and uh, one immunologist, Mark Feldman, convinced Senocor to let them use the antibody in a small open trial in rheumatoid arthritis. And that showed very early on that uh, the antibody is extremely effective in, in alleviating the, the symptoms of uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, that was and the first approval, right? Uh, actually, uh, the first approval was in Crohn's disease uh, oh. because uh, shortly after uh, it was shown that, I mean, in, only in an open trial, that the antibody is effective in rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, Sander van de Venter in Holland showed that it's also very effective in Crohn's disease. And uh, for Crohn's disease, there were really no treatments, uh, or at least no effective treatments available. So Centocor decided to first apply for 
uh, an approval to use uh, the antibody in Crohn's. In Crohn's, okay. Yeah. But w- without, um, do you think Senecor was was um, just going to discard the molecule without these two UK scientists saying we want to try? And this, they thought, well, sepsis, it didn't work, so we're we're done with it. Uh, at, at 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 the moment, that's it looked what, like what it. it looked like. Yes, yes. Uh, that's amazing, right? Because the, the drug now has something like. I mean, 16 or 17 approvals worldwide. I mean, it's been useful in many, many indications. That is that is correct. Yes. That's amazing. All right, so a couple of things have happened since since then as far as the industry goes, right? Number one is, um, well, they, the, when drugs are approved, they're, easy, they're easier to expand into other indications, such as the case here, too. Prices have really gone up, especially for biologics. So that drug has become a monster. Right. I mean, that drug, I mean that in a positive way, the drug did something like $7 billion in maybe 2014. You could not have foreseen that. Did you foresee it? Absolutely not. No, because uh, in the beginning, even after the drug was approved for Crohn's disease, it was only approved for a short-term administration. It was not clear that it would be possible to use it uh, over a longer period of yeah. time that you could uh, use it for years uh, without uh, creating some unacceptable side effects. Yeah. Uh, so that was a very pleasant surprise that that it happened. Uh, and um, uh, then eventually, you know, also that it was effective in some other situation, other kinds of autoimmune diseases uh, that was too unexpected so it uh, it 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 i i certainly uh, could not anticipate that it would become so successful no and it it utterly changed your life financially no well yes yes uh, in in that respect yes otherwise i hope not <laughs> no no yeah no fi- financially it went from um hey we've got this you know, this drug that may be approved and there's some royalty, whatever, to, my God, we have a royalty stream from the biggest drug in the world. So and perhaps I should briefly explain that uh, this this work uh, was done in my laboratory yes. at NYU. And yeah. uh, we didn't actually participate in the real drug development. and Yeah, not the trials the or anything. Clinical yeah. trials. Uh, so... Uh, it was it was done. Sep- I s- still continued for many years to do basic research, which is always what interested me most. And uh, there were patent applications that we filed, and uh, the rights to the patents were assigned to to NYU. So NYU owns the rights to the patents, yeah. and uh, most universities, including. NYU have rules that uh, specify that if royalties are generated as a result of an invention that was made at the university, the inventors are entitled to a portion portion. of the the royalty. So um, this is uh, why it also had a, a, a huge financial impact on on, on, on me. Yeah, because of course. Because the yeah. royalties that flowed from, well, from Senecor the company. eventually became acquired by Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and now it's uh, it's called Janssen uh, Pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Or, yeah. And uh, 
so Janssen or Johnson and Johnson pays royalties to NYU and then NYU. Right. Uh, so this this goes through you know from from the actual sales through a large pharma company down to NYU and, and eventually your portion comes to you, right? Correct. But what but what I'm getting at is I mean you're well known for your philanthropy. Yeah. Um, I think I read in the book you said something like. You know, like when you and your wife sat around thinking about what we would do if we would have more money, it was things like, well, we'd take more taxis, right? Correct. And, not and like eat, we'd, we'd eat out more. Yeah, yeah, and you might eat out more as yeah. opposed to we don't want to buy 17 houses. You just, you know, you said you weren't that kind of, you, you weren't those kind of people. We still don't. You still aren't, yeah. So you yeah. said, what can I do with this money instead? Correct. And what did you do with it? So eventually the thought occurred to us uh, Maritza and me that uh, we should start a foundation, but I must say that we still, in the beginning, didn't have uh, a, a very good idea of what the foundation would 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 do. That yeah. happened gradually. So uh, we, we we started the foundation. Uh, we got some legal advice how how to do it. Also, the person who gave me the advice um, when when I explained that this, these are funds that uh, are, are come from royalty payments. He said, you know, rather than giving cash to the uh, foundation, you could uh, uh, donate a portion of your future royalty income to the to the foundation. Yeah. It appealed to us because we didn't know uh, what the uh, the value of the royalties is going to be in the long run, so so we did that, and then uh, a little later on, I made an even more substantial donation of royalties to NYU Medical yeah. School. Yeah. Um, and and that means that uh, most of the royalties that I am entitled to actually, I I have never seen. Yeah. <laughs> I gave them away. You gave them away. Before we they, should mention. Um, for the so the foundation was called you, you first named it after your mother, yeah, correct, and yes. then you changed it to Jan Vilcek Foundation, uh, Vilcek Foundation because we jointly you established it with, with my wife, so right, and so we should say what Mertz's career was. I mean, she's been working at the Met, I think, for uh, correct, yes. So she, um, as an art historian, when we came here, looked for a, a job that would be suitable for her. And eventually ended up uh, with a position at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And, s- and she she worked there for, I think, thirty two years. Years, yeah. And so this foundation gives out awards for for what? You tell me. I, I mean, I could say it, but I want to hear it from well, you. Well, uh, so um, I before a little early, I said that in the beginning we didn't know uh, what exactly we will we will. Uh, do is the uh, funds that the foundation uh, will will accumulate, and initially we thought maybe we'll give out small grants in in biomedical research, and we started doing it. But um, we were not uh, really happy with, with with well, we were happy, but we didn't think that was so original, and the amounts of money that we had could not compete with. Many much larger, larger foundations. Yeah. Foundations. So we put our heads together with Maritza and decided that uh, uh, we'll uh, try to build a foundation on 
our own uh, background. So we decided that the main mission of the foundation is going to be to raise awareness of the contribution of immigrants uh, in uh, uh, biomedical science and in the arts. Right. And eventually that led to, that led to a program of uh, prizes. Um, initially, we we would give two prizes, one in biomedical science, one, one in, the arts. in the arts every year, and then a few years later, we ad added prizes for younger people, uh, which we call uh, Creative Promise Prizes, again in biomedical science and in the arts. And just last week, we we had our prize event, and we gave uh, actually nine nine prizes really? altogether. Uh, nine because uh, the the main prize in biomedical science we we, we split uh, gave it to a a couple who are both scientists and work together. So so there's two there. So yeah, there's two there, and then one one uh, in uh, the arts. Uh, uh, it happened to be fine art. We we rotate the arts field. Uh, this year we went back to fine art, uh, and uh, then we gave three each additional prizes in biomedical science and in fine art to younger people. The age limit is thirty eight. Uh, for, for, for the, the youngest, creative yeah. Prizes. Not to, I mean, I'm sure you cannot remember the names of all these people, but can you remember what some of the projects were? Were they musicians, writers? What were they? For well, the uh, for the fine this arts. year, this year it was only f so it's, oh, it's 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 it's, it's fi fine arts, so painting and and sculpture. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the the main prize was in uh, painting and sculpture was given. To a an artist b born in Jamaica, it's his name name is Neri Ward, uh -huh. uh, and he does uh, sculpture and uh, uh, also large, uh, larger sculpture. Uh, he's maybe not yet a household name, but very prominent. Yeah, very very promising. Um. I wanted to ask a couple of things that sort of jumped out at me. Number, number one is, uh, I think I think at some point you had uh, a job offer for Switzerland. Is that right? Maybe Geneva. Uh, correct. I mean, yes, I had. I you, had. You didn't take several. it, right? And and um, you've been living in New York now for fifty years. Uh, is that right? That is right. Over fifty-two years. Sixty-five, nineteen sixty-five to now. Yeah. Right. So fifty-two. Y this must be. You must love the city. Am I am I correct in assuming that? That is that is correct. We have bec become enthusiastic New Yorkers, um, and uh, and we and we consider New York our our home. Oh, of course, yeah. But I mean, what, what is it about? I mean, there, you know, y what what is it about New York that uh, that draws you guys in, draws you and your wife in? Well, it's um, it we, 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 we happen to love big cities. So. Uh, but also it's uh, the diversity of uh, the people who, who live in the city. Uh, uh, initially, when we came here, like, like all other immigrants, we, we had to adjust 
and we felt that it was um, uh, much easier to adjust to life in New York because uh, the city is so cosmopolitan yeah. than it would be to adjust to life in a in a smaller place in in, in the states. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we love the cultural life in the city. Uh, we we love the, the I mean, variety of of. of Everything that is. But you've uh, seen, so you've seen, you know, the, you were here in the 70s when crime was really high. You're here in the 80s. You were here for 9 11. You've, you've been for New York for all these things. You've seen yeah, a lot so of changes. Not, not everything was uh, was wonderful. Yeah, no, no. But, no. But, but, but on balance, uh, you know, we, you like we, it. Are, we are enthusiastic New Yorkers and love the city. And do you ever go back to Bratislava or the, or the Slovak Republic? Yes, yes, we do. Um, uh, we were uh, just a few months ago uh, in in Bratislava, and that has changed since a lot, right? Our departure, especially so, uh, Czechoslovakia split into Course, two yeah. halves. Yeah. Uh, so Bratislava is now uh, the capital of, of the Slovak Republic, Slo- Slovakia, yeah, uh, and the uh, Slovak Republic. Uh, but uh, the 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 split was. Uh, Amicable uh, was called the Velvet Divorce, yeah. <laughs> um, and both the Czech Republic and Slovakia are members of the European Union, and uh, that has made a lot of difference. So since uh, Slovakia joined the European Union, the the country has done much much better. Yeah, Czech Republic both. first, I think, in the EU, no. and then Slovak, right? I think, but I mean, within a couple of years of each other. They Is that actually correct? Actually, may have joined the EU at the same time. Oh, maybe. Time. I think, uh, maybe not. I, I, but I think they joined at the same time. Or close, either way. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this too. It, you know, you, you've had a you've had a charmed life, and that is a ridiculous thing to say, given that what your families went through with the Nazis, that you lived under communism. But but it's almost like the very fact that you survived those things and then went on to have such an impact on science and medicine. It is like a charmed life. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, I could not have uh, imagined uh, a more interesting life. Uh, I sometimes say that I, I lived under the spell of the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Uh, but I don't regret it at all. No, they've all been interesting. Um, listen, I want to thank you for coming in. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, too. So there's that, your First Rounders podcast with Jan Vilcek. Um, Jan, very much appreciate you taking the time and coming down to our studio. And uh, good talk. I, I really appreciate it. If you listeners would like to read his memoir, just Google Jan Vilcek and Love and Science, and you'll find it. I think it's on. It's at Amazon. It's on Borders. I think it's. I think its foundation sells it too. I enjoyed the read. You guys might also. So what else? Um, yeah, Henry Tremere died. Um, he wasn't old. He was seventy-one. Looks like he collapsed at his house. He was a large figure in this industry. He feels like he's been in biotech since the beginning. He was a big impact on the biotech scene in Boston and on the orphan drug space and the industry in general. Um, he was also the very first person we ever had as a guest on First Rounders. And I chose him for all those reasons I just mentioned, that he, uh, you know, that 
he had big name recognition that he was affable and gregarious and he uh, gave willingly of his time and I thought it would be a good conversation and it was. And if you'd like to hear him talk about his life, uh, biotech in Boston and other things, that's in our archives. It's a little sad to hear it now, I admit, but, um, but it's in there. Right, so if you have comments on this blog, on this blog, on this podcast, our blog, or anything else that we do, including the journal itself, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nature Biotech. Um, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.